Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fantasy Consigliere podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Chapin. Last week, I covered the buy-low targets based on two weeks of action. This episode will cover some of the top waiver wire targets as the calendar turns to October, following Thursday night's game between the Bengals and Dolphins. First, as the message was last week, you shouldn't overreact to a small sample size. It's only been three weeks. I've seen people ask online if they should drop Allen Robinson or Elijah Moore. I saw someone on Twitter recommending people drop Rashad Penny, but those are three talented players that should no way be on waiver wires. So hold tight and hope they turn things around. Robinson dropped a touchdown last week. The Rams clearly want to get him more involved, including in the red zone. Moore will hopefully be more of a factor with Zach Wilson returning. And Penny this week will face off against the Lions defense that has allowed the most fantasy points per game to opposing running backs. Those are just three names that I saw people asking about or recommending you drop, but there are plenty more. It's a little different because it's a shorter season, but Phillies announcer John Cruck made a good point that players will usually end the season with the stats they typically have on the back of their baseball card. So if someone's a 280 hitter, they'll probably... Even if they struggle early, there's a good chance they'll get up to 280. Again, it's a different sport. Football has a shorter season, but the thinking is the same. Basically, the talented players will eventually put up numbers. So if you have a talented squad, you shouldn't panic and make any moves that you'll come to regret, whether that be dropping a player or trading someone away at a heavy discount. So with that, let's get into the waiver wire rankings. If you were a Fantasy Consigliere subscriber, you can find the full article at wolfsports.com. But I'm basically going to run through it and give some descriptions for players you should think about picking up that can help you both now and or into the future. I'll go position by position, starting with quarterbacks. These are all players owned in less than 60% of ESPN.com leagues. I'm assuming many of these guys are already rostered. I know in my league, for the top 10 overall rankings in our waiver wire article, 9 of the 10 players are rostered. But I'll still go through the guys that are owned in less than 60% of leagues because everyone plays a different kind of format. I know people have said they do four-man benches and maybe there are some budgetary restrictions in terms of how many waiver claims you can make. So yeah, starting with the quarterbacks, I'd say there are three guys that probably separate from the rest of the pack. That would be Trevor Lawrence, Jared Goff, and Marcus Mariota. For Lawrence, he's a QB 10 through three games. He's only going to gain more comfort in Doug Peterson's offense as the season progresses. Jacksonville has a very good group of weapons, with James Robinson returning to form, Christian Kirk proving to be a great signing, and I'm sure Travis Etienne will become more involved, including as a pass catcher. So this week for Lawrence will be a tough matchup against the Eagles, but he gets the Texans in two weeks, and there are plenty of shootouts throughout the rest of the year. So he's someone, if you need a backup quarterback, he can provide QB1 production, which he's already doing without yet putting up numbers as a runner. So he's the top claim at quarterback, especially if you're looking for a long-term answer and someone that can be a QB1 when bye weeks kick in. Behind him, Jared Goff. He only threw one touchdown last week with Jamal Williams rushing for two scores, but he still has seven touchdowns on the year, and the offense will only be more explosive when Jameson Williams makes his debut. So I like Goff as a high-end QB2 this week for home matchup versus Seattle. And then he gets a tougher game versus the Patriots in New England in week five and then a week six bye. But golf can definitely be a low end QB1 option starting in week seven through the rest of the year. 
for those in 12-team leagues. Then the third guy, Marcus Mariota. The rushing touchdown saved his day last week because the passing numbers weren't great in Seattle. But if you watch the game, Mariota was clearly giving his guys, namely Drake London and Kyle Pitts, a chance to make plays in contested coverage. That's a great sign for Mariota's upside. As a passer, he already has two rushing touchdowns in three games. And if you need a short-term answer at the position, whether it's because you're waiting for Dak Prescott to return or you simply want to change things up, Mariota takes on the Browns this week and then has a potential shootout versus the Bucks in Week 5. Now the Bucks are a tough defense, but Mariota's rushing upside helps him overcome some difficult opponents. After those three that I think stand out above the rest as borderline top 15 options, we have Jameis Winston, Justin Fields, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matt Ryan, and Ryan Tannehill rounding out the top eight. For Winston, he's a little bit too much hit and miss, which puts him below those three, especially dealing with a back injury. But if you can live with a low floor, then the ceiling could be worth gambling on. For Fields, he's a QB 31 as the first month of the season comes to a close. And it's difficult, even in good matchups, to believe he'll end up reaching his potential. The Bears have thrown it 17 times, 11 times, and 17 times through three games. And Fields has thrown two touchdowns with four interceptions. If you're in a dynasty league, I'd definitely be selling Fields, even if it's for a draft pick, and seeing if you can reload at the position for what looks like a strong quarterback class in 2023. Garoppolo, Ryan, and Tannehill are guys who'll want to play the matchups with. Garoppolo, obviously not this week against the Rams. I'm not too excited about the upcoming stretch of games for Ryan, and the same is true for Tannehill with a couple of matchups against the Colts and a bye week mixed in over the next four games. All right, now for the running backs. This is a position where there are definitely some great options available, at least according to the ownership percentages on ESPN.com. Number one, Jamal Williams, who is the top pickup of the week, if somehow available. He shouldn't be. He was one of our top recommended ads over the past two weeks. He's already had a couple of multi-score games, and now it sounds like he'll be the starter for Detroit with DeAndre Swift potentially out through the week six bye. So if you're in need of a running back, especially a short-term option, I think it's worth spending almost your entire budget for Williams as a solid RB2 for at least the next two games and a standalone flex whenever Swift is back. And number two and number three, a couple of rookies, Ken Walker the third and Brian Robinson Jr. For Walker, he only had six touches last week, but they came on nine snaps. I thought he looked explosive. He had at least one jet sweep and around type handoff. And the Seahawks notably played a bit faster in week three. So hopefully more opportunities will come for the rookie. And Travis Homer getting injured last week could lead to more work in the passing game. As stated for Rashad Penny, great matchup against Detroit this weekend. But Walker should be rostered everywhere as a top tier handcuff. And I like his standalone flex value this week and into the future. For Brian Robinson, he should get every opportunity to lead the backfield when he returns, which is looking like it will happen in week five. Antonio Gibson has averaged just 3.1 yards per carry, and the rookie looked on his way to taking over the backfield based on the preseason. So Robinson, who is rostered in less than 40% of leagues, should definitely be picked up a week early to get him on your roster and hopefully have a potential low-end RB2 as he rounds back into form. I like the long-term outlooks of those two rookies, which is why they're at two and three. But for those that need immediate help at running back, Khalil Herbert, dating back to last year's rookie campaign for Herbert, 
he's produced whenever given the opportunity, and he'll be a top 20 option this week against the Giants if he draws a start. In five games with at least 18 carries, Herbert has averaged over 100 rushing yards per game, and even when Montgomery is healthy, he's shown he can handle more of a workload, and I'm sure Chicago will go with more of an even split between the two. Like for quarterback, there's probably a teardrop after those guys, and they should all be rostered already, but I'll run through the rest of the waiver rankings and hit on quick thoughts for some of the guys mentioned. At number five, Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds being the clear goal line back, hurts his upside, but he's still seeing over 50% of the snaps played, and there's probably room for his ceiling to increase if and when he breaks a long run. Number six through number nine, Isaiah Pacheco, Trey Sermon, Rashad White, and James Cook for Pacheco and Sermon, and I guess White falls into this category as well. You might not get much production right now. Sermon in particular has been a healthy scratch in each of the first three games, but I'm banking on the talent of the players. I think for Sermon, as the weather gets colder, he could be like the Jordan Howard role from previous years as a between-the-tackles pounder that can handle goal line work. So if you have patience and a deep bench, I'd hold on to Sermon as a potential factor in one of the league's best offenses and running behind one of the league's best offensive lines. After those four guys, Kenneth Gainwell, Eno Benjamin, Sony Michelle, Alexander Madison, who has remained the clear handcuff in Minnesota, but might not see too much of an increased role with Dallin Cook set to not miss any time with his recurring shoulder injury. Then after them, Somewhat of a sneaky option that if you want to take a bigger swing on, you can move him up. Tevin Coleman. If you didn't know, he's now back with San Francisco. It's notable that Adam Schefter said Coleman was set for a role on Sunday night, but the game being in Denver and him having the sickle cell trait erased those plans. Kyle Shanahan trusts Jeff Wilson to be the lead back, but he had a costly fumble last week. And if there was a coach in the NFL, that would suddenly and without explanation flip the backfield. It'd probably be Shanahan. So Coleman is a great speculative ad. It sounds like at the least he will be a change of pace option to Wilson. And I still think he can contribute, especially seeing as he knows the offense from his years together with Shanahan. So that's the order for the first 14 running backs. We go up to 20 in the rankings and you can find them if you are a member at wolfsports.com. For the wideouts, we rank 30 options in the article. And assuming Jamal Williams is already owned in most leagues, that would put Romeo Dobbs as the top out of the week. We are very high on the talent. The only question about him was whether he would earn the trust of Aaron Rodgers. That definitely happened with the win over Tampa Bay. Dobbs caught 8 of 8 targets for 73 yards and a touchdown. He took full advantage of Sammy Watkins being placed on injured reserve. And this week against New England could be tough, but Dobbs can realistically be the number one wideout for Aaron Rodgers. We also have rest of season rankings that release every Wednesday on wolfsports.com. And Dobbs is firmly in the top 40. And I'd also be investing in him as a dynasty target. If there are teams out there wanting to sell high on the hype, I'd say he's definitely for real. And I get the feeling Aaron Rodgers might want to play out his contract which would mean a couple of more seasons to grow with Dobbs and the other young wideouts. And number three at wide receiver, Russell Gage. He battled last week 
in the loss to Green Bay to catch 12 passes for 87 yards and a touchdown. The Bucks will get both Mike Evans and Julio Jones back on Sunday night, but Gage's performance should have earned him some trust with Tom Brady. He caught all but one target and more injury issues for the Bucks throughout the rest of the year. Wouldn't be a surprise. So Gage should definitely be owned in all formats and will be a clear wide receiver three option, even with Evans and Julio back. And when Chris Godwin returns, which also I guess could be on Sunday night, I'd still want to pick up and hold on to Gage for the wide receiver heavy attack. And number four, Michael Gallup. He didn't make his season debut on Monday night, but really the chemistry with Dak Prescott is what makes him an exciting add. So it's worth investing in Gallup now, hoping he knocks the rust off with Cooper Rush under center over the next couple of weeks. And then will be a potential wide receiver three with high touchdown upside, catching passes from Prescott. Number five, Isaiah McKenzie. It's been a little bit hit and miss with him. He had a touchdown in the opener, then 37 scoreless yards in week two. And then his best game of the year, seven receptions for 76 yards and a touchdown against Miami. But the playing time has hovered around 50%. And I think McKenzie will be key for this upcoming stretch at Baltimore versus Pittsburgh and at Kansas City. So he carries a nice floor in Buffalo's offense and should get a boost in full PPR formats. Now I'll run through the next 10 or so guys. Number six, Devontae Parker. He would have been at least at number five if Mac Jones wasn't now dealing with high ankle sprain. He seemed to finally earn the trust of Jones in the loss to Baltimore. But now him and in a few spots, I'll get to Nelson Aguilar, both have their upside and floors decreased until Jones is back under center. And number seven, George Pickens. Everyone saw that unbelievable catch last Thursday night. He's played over 70% of the team's offensive snaps in all three games, and last week had him targeted a season-high seven times. So hopefully at some point Pickens is fully unleashed, whether it's with Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett at quarterback. Number eight, Rondell Moore. Still yet to make a season debut, but the Cardinals likely won't have A.J. Green this week. They need some more explosiveness and playmaking ability on offense, and I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury will not waste any time designing plays to get the ball into Moore's hands whenever he's back on the field. So hopefully Arizona is waiting for him to be fully healthy, and then he could be a big-time contributor that won't have a setback at 100% health. Number nine and number 10, a couple of big play threats with DJ Shark and Miko Hardman. Number 11, Joshua Palmer, who will be back to being the number three wideout with Keenan Allen expected return in week four. Number 12, I got to Nelson Aguilar. 13 and 14, a couple of number two wideouts with Nico Collins and Marvin Jones. Number 15, KJ Osborne, caught the game winning touchdown last week. And teams continuing to send more coverage in the direction of Justin Jefferson will open things up for Osborne. So we'll see if he can carry the momentum over into Sunday morning's London matchup against the Saints. And finally, number 16. Again, these go to 30 at wide receiver, but I'll just hit on Kadarius Tony to finish up here. The unfortunate ACL tear for Sterling Shepard opens the door for Tony if he can get healthy himself to really be the number one wideout in New York. The talent is definitely there, and getting another playmaker that can make things happen with the ball in his hands would really take the pressure off Saquon Barkley and help the Giants to remain competitive as they defy season expectations. Now finishing off at tight end, 
This is a position where we rank 15 guys. Number one is clear with David Njoku finally becoming a big factor offensively for the Browns. He caught nine passes for 89 yards and a touchdown last Thursday night. So with Amari Cooper continuing to make an impact for the Browns, coverage will start rolling more in his direction. Watch along with the rushing ability of Nick Chubb will lead to favorable looks for Njoku, who I think is a top 10 tight end for the rest of the season. And this week gets a great matchup against the Falcons. Number two, Gerald Everett. The performance for the Chargers last week can probably be thrown out. Justin Herbert was not himself as they faced a feared Jacksonville pass rush. We'll see how the return of Keenan Allen impacts things. But Everett looked really good in the first two games and should remain at least a low-end tight end one or high-end tight end two. Number three, Mike Isicki. He had 41 yards and a touchdown in week two, but just one target in week one and week three. Fortunately for those that are sticking with him, New England and Buffalo in those two quiet games were expected to be tough opponents. On Thursday night, he'll take on a Bengals team that he's faced three times and has put up 18 receptions for 196 yards and three touchdowns against. And in the past two matchups in particular, Gesicki has gone for lines of 6.82-2 and 9.88-1. So hopefully Mike McDaniel gets him involved between the numbers and between Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Number four, Taysom Hill. Missed last week, and even back in week one when he went off on the ground, you can tell he was not at 100%. He had a clear limp while running. So because of the mystery there, he gets knocked down some. I'd still invest in him with the hopes he becomes a bigger offensive factor whenever back on the field. And Jameis Winston dealing with some injuries even makes it possible he plays more quarterback to try to spark the New Orleans offense. Number five, Robert Tunyon. He had seven targets last week, five targets in the opener, so some opportunities have been there. He's yet to find the end zone, but if the touchdowns start to come, then Tunyon could have a case for low-end tight end one value. This week will be a tough matchup against the Patriots, so maybe wait a week if you need an immediate option at tight end and see if you can get Tunyon ahead of week five and maybe a possible hot streak finding the end zone. And for the last guy I'll hit, Cole Komet. He fortunately got on the board with his first receptions of the season, two catches for 40 yards, but he only saw three targets, and it's just very difficult to trust Chicago's offense right now. So he can definitely be dropped, but because of the talent, we still have him at number six in the waiver wire rankings. So that will conclude this episode. If you are subscribed, you can find the full waiver wire rankings on wolfsports.com. And if you're not subscribed, click the banner at the top of wolfsports.com to see if Fantasy Consigliere would be a fit for you. Either way, thank you for listening, and feel free to reach out with any questions you might have. Until next time, I'm Dylan Chapin, and this was the Fantasy Consigliere Podcast.